Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are indeed holding on to us. That no matter what else is going on, we know that there is that fundamental truth. That, no, that you are there, you are holding on to us, that we can have confidence in you. And so God, we come to you with that confidence, knowing that whatever that version of the night is for us, that you are still holding on to us in the midst of it. And so we lift up the prayer requests, the joys, the concerns, whatever is heavily laying upon our heart. In particular, we lift up Clifford Hines, uh, who is having health issues. God, we pray for his healing that he may be made well. We lift up John Locke, who continues to have setbacks from his cancer surgery. God, we pray that he may, may be able to make progress. The surgery may be healing, that he may fully recover. We lift up Chris Mart's brother, Carl Phillips, who is suffering from COVID. God, we pray for him and for all who are suffering from COVID, but particularly we pray for Carl, that he may be healed, that it may, the disease may be driven out of his body, that he may walk away strong. We lift up Kim Rhodes. We lift up the family. Uh, Kim Rhodes and her family. Um, her son-in-law passed away, leaving behind a wife and two children. And so, God, we just pray for that entire family, uh, particularly that wife and those two kids, but really all uh, who are connected with that man. God, we pray uh, for their healing, for their comfort, that they may know Your presence in this time. We lift up Beth Corson, who suffered from a fall this week. God, we pray uh, that she may be healed, that she may be able to stand tall. We lift, uh, we have an unspoken prayer request. God, you know what is going on there. We pray for you to move in a mighty way. We lift up Dorothy, um, who is going into memory care. Uh, we lift up Sandra, who is suffering from stage four a pancreatic cancer. We lift up our dear brother, Harry Oliver. And God, we also just lift up all of those who are hurting, all of those who are in need of you. God, we pray for you to move in mighty ways. We pray for your healing. We pray for the coronavirus to finally be defeated. We pray that all of us may know you, may know your strength, your power, and your healing hand upon and God, we also pray that we may stand tall as your church. God, we lift up our fall festival tonight that it may be a time where folks can come and experience your love. Whether they know that's what's happening or not matters less. May we be your instruments tonight that we may share your love and create an environment where people can know your joy and your peace. But God, even beyond tonight, with every step we take, God, may we move in you. God, may we be your hands and feet in the world, telling the story of what your second chance love has done for us and what it can do for others. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. And I invite uh, the children to come forward for a message prepared just for them. I'm just going to send dead batteries. That's fine. Ugh. Yep. Yep. It was not, it was no, it was... No easier than it was for a service. So I have a very, I have a couple of very simple questions uh, for y'all. How many of y'all have like a best friend or have friend? How many of y'all have like a friend? Pretty much everyone has a friend. Okay. So what kind of things do you do with your friends? What do you do with your, what do you do with your friends? Play with your friends. What else do you do? You play Together, what do you do? Uh, um, I don't do things I do with my friends. I just can't think of. Good. It's okay. So, what do you got? 
you share with your friends. Okay, so we all have friends. We all kind of know what to do with friends. I gotta ask y'all a harder question. What makes somebody your friend? What do you got? What makes someone your friend? Being nice to them. Being nice to them. That helps. What makes someone your friend? Okay, that helps. What else? Anyone else? What, what, what do you do? What, what makes someone your friend? Share. Sharing, yeah. Okay, what else? One more. What do you got? Uh, you can sing together. You can sing together. Okay. So y'all have friends. You get what makes someone your friends. So it turns out that following God and being a good Christian, a good follower of God, it means that you become a friend to everybody. You treat everybody you meet the same way you treat your friends. You can spend time with them, you can share with them, you can be nice to them. Uh, this is what Jesus did throughout his life. He wandered the countryside, meeting a whole bunch of people and treating them all like their best friend. My favorite story of, of Jesus traveling around, uh, this one involves spitting, so it's a lot of fun. So there's this one guy, Jesus met a guy that was blind. I mean, he'd been blind since birth, and Jesus wanted to heal him. Um, and so to heal him, Jesus spit on the ground, so went... <laughs> And then he picked up, you know, when you spin the ground, you can like mix it with the dirt and make it mud, right? You ever done that um, when no one was looking? Okay, and then he picks, he picked up, scooped up the mud in his hand, and he smeared it on the guy's eyes, and then told him to go wash it off. And guess what? The guy, after he washed it off, the guy could see. Jesus traveled the countryside, being nice, being everybody's friend. And that is how we are supposed to act as well. So you guys pray with me. Take your hands like this, put it like this. On your lap, by your heads, close your eyes, repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to be friends to everyone that we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good job, friends. Y'all can return. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the first chapter of the book of Ruth, verses 1 through 18. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The, man, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of, the wife, of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Euphrites, Euphrites, there we go, uh, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Those these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Mahlon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as he has dealt, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. 
why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that may become, become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. And even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far too bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well even if death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. See, it's God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, love from, particularly love from unexpected quarters, sits at the heart of today's story. It is a story of someone who should have followed God that does not, and someone who had no reason to follow God deciding to do so. And I remember, I have a, I have a memory in my own life of what it was to be loved and cared for uh, by someone wildly unexpected. So when I was a young person, when I was 12, I went to Boy Scout camp at El Rancho Sima, uh, where it's just the, I guess they've sold it now, but it was this big Boy Scout ranch up in the hill country. It's a beautiful place. And as a, a first-time camper at SEMA, the expectation is that you would go on the Death March, really selling the joy of it. It was called the Death March. Uh, there were three of them. There was Death March 1 that was five miles. There was Death March 2 that was 10 miles. And then there was Death March 3 that was 15 miles uh, around this giant Boy Scout ranch. Now, as a first-time camper, uh, at the age of 12, you were, were not required to go on Death March 3 or Death March 2. You were, however, required to go on Death March 1, uh, which might as well, for me at the age of 12, have been 5 million miles. Uh, I was not exactly the most athletic 12-year-old. I was overweight. I had never walked anywhere near that distance. And it's not even, it's not flat. It's the hill country. It's up hills and downhills. Uh, they call it the Death March for a reason. I was also new to the troop. I was new to being back in the United States. I'd lived in Belgium for another number of years. So I didn't have friends in this troop. They all went to different schools than I did. I had more or less just met them. This was my first summer with them. And so as the pack of hikers grew further and further ahead of me, I found myself more or less alone at the back of this pack as I trudge forward into the unknown of tremendous suffering and rocks. But there's another guy back there, and he wasn't there from a lack of athletic ability. Uh, his name's Daniel. Um, I, I didn't know what Asperger's was at the time, but Daniel has Asperger's, um, a fairly you know, joyous case of Asperger's. And so Daniel doesn't, to this day, make friends very easily, and he was just kind of 
back there at the back of the pack on his own. But he happened to notice that I was struggling. And so he happened to, even though he did not connect well with people, choose to hang out with me. We happened to share some fairly nerdy interests, and so we hit it off reasonably well. And I didn't care that his communication style was a bit off, and he didn't care that I was extremely slow. And so we journeyed on together, and we completed the death march, and we got our death march patch, and we lived through the experience, and more or less, we've been friends ever since. We were friends all through middle school and high school. Um, both he and his brother Brian uh, were groomsmen in my wedding. I recently officiated the wedding for his brother Brian. Every time I see him, we pick up right where we left off on whatever nerdy tangent Daniel is on at the moment. But the foundation of our relationship was he was the person I thought least likely to want to hang out with anybody. And he chose to hang out with me. And he stuck out that entire journey with the slow fat kid at the back of the line. It was unlikely, but there was meant a lot when he chose to spend that love and devotion for me. That's what Naomi gets. That amplified to a thousand. It's what Naomi gets in today's story, in this moment from the book of Ruth. But I want us to go back a step and think about why on earth are we in Moab at all? What is Naomi, a daughter of Judah from Bethlehem, doing in Boab, uh, one of the enemies of God's people? And it goes back to our good friend Elimelech, uh, who took them to Moab in the first place. You see, there was this famine, right, in the land of Judah. And so Elimelech didn't stay and stick out the famine you know, like, as we've learned over the past couple of years, it's really good when you, like, bond together as a community to get through suffering, right? Well, you know, I love the stories of people, like, early in the pandemic, like, buying, up to buying toilet paper and delivering it to homebound people. Or during the storm, you know, restaurants opening up their kitchens just to boil water, right? There's something important about in a disaster when a community bonds together, and that's how we make it through. That's why God gave us community. That's why God gave us each other. It's why God... God gave the Judah to the people of Judah to the people of Judah. But what does Elimelech do? He leaves to Moab and takes his family with him. And then not only does he leave for Moab and take his family with him, in verse 2 it says he stays there. Right? He could have gone back. He could have like, hey, I'm going to like take Moab's food and take it back home. And the way that Joseph does for Joseph's brothers, right? When there's the famine in Egypt, he's there. So when his family shows up, he can take care of them. No, 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 no. This is not that. This is Moab. This is Elimelech, a good child of Judah, leaving and going to Moab and staying there because the going got too tough in God's promised land. And so it's, this starts to set up that like, we are in Moab and it is not good. I'll read to you, reread to you verses, both verses two and verse eight. Setting up that Elimelech is from Judah, but flees to Moab and Ruth is from Moab. Verse one, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab. 
he and his wife and his two sons. That is our good friend, Elimelech. Jumping down to verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kind, kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So you have our good friend, Elimelech, who went to Jewish version of Sunday school, which I guess is Friday school. He went to Friday school every week. He presumably never missed a uh, Passover Seder. He would have lived, because he lives in Bethlehem, he would have lived in view of the temple. He could see the te- he could literally see the temple from his house. You, anywhere, anywhere you are in Bethlehem, if you look towards Jerusalem, you see, the, and, and even now we don't have anything big, giant sticking up, you see the Temple Mount everywhere in Bethlehem. He grew up in view of the temple, the foot of the temple. But when the going got tough in his homeland, he left. He took his family with him, and he didn't go back. And Ruth is a Moabite. She grew up in Moab. She grew up worshiping the gods of Moab. She did not go to Friday school. She doesn't know what the temple looks like. She's never been to a Passover Seder. Elimelech should be the one rushing back home to follow God and take care of his people. Ruth has lived in a people perpetually at war with God's people. Okay, so look this up in the Old Testament. After church, we have kids in the room. I am not going to tell you the origin story of the people of Moab. All you have to do is look up Lot and Lot's daughters. It's bad. It's real bad. We are, I'm guy, I am self-censoring. Actually, if you want to go back to our series, Speed Day in the Old Testament, I think I talk about it there. uh, Because we usually did all the gory details in that one. Moab came from a real bad place. And they were perpetually the enemies of the people of Judah, of God's people. Ruth is the enemy woman. Elimelech is the man steeped in Jewish tradition. But it is Ruth that chooses to give her whole life over to God. And so I'll read for you her truly wonderful poem um, that she uses as her way to finally convince Naomi no, I am not leaving you. You cannot get rid of me. Because uh, it is just an absolutely beautiful statement um, in verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus to me and so do thus and so to me and even more as well, even if death parts me from you. It's beautiful, but it actually says even more than we English speakers here. So that word lodge, right? We think like lodge, like where you live, I will live. The actual sub, the, the uh, actual word there is something more like lodge a complaint. So it basically means not where you live, I will live. It's where you suffer, I will suffer. So Ruth knows going in that whatever she's up against is not going to be good. First of all, they are two women alone in the world. 
that may be okay in modern day. You make, you know, the, either the show Two Broke Girls or the show Laverne and Shirley. Pick your generation. It's literally the same show. It's the same plot, right? They are two broke girls. They are Laverne and Shirley. They are facing it. But in like the 70s and the, and the you know, 2020s, that's fine. You can do that. In the ancient world, they could not buy property. Uh, they could not protect themselves. They are at risk from every traitor, every bandit, every slaver they might meet along the way. Remember what happened to Joseph when he was helpless down in a pit, having been attacked by his brothers and got sold into slavery? That could happen to them and worse. And on top of that, when Ruth does finally get to the promised land, when her people are Naomi, when Naomi's people are her people, those people are probably going to hate her. And she knows that. She's a Moabite woman. She's the enemy. And even knowing that the way is hard and full of suffering and danger, when she arrives, she's probably going to be socially ostracized and rejected. And we know the end of the story. We know she finds a husband. She doesn't know that. Do not be clouded by knowing the end of the story. It takes some of the punch out of what Ruth actually does. She's risking all of this, all of this pain and suffering for a wildly uncertain outcome. And yet still, she says, where you go, I will go. Where you suffer, I will suffer. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She chooses Naomi and she chooses God even though she has absolutely no external reason to. She's an enemy woman of Moab who grew up with wildly different gods. And yet she follows God. And Elimelech, who grew up going to Friday school, who grew up in the foot of the temple, who grew up knowing the law and the prophets, he is the one who led his family out, away from helping his people. And it's the enemy woman of Moab who plants the flag and says, no, I'm going with you. You do not have to do this alone. I'll go wherever you go. And your God, your faith is now my God and my faith. There's a reason why Ruth ends up being in the line of David. She's essentially David's grandmother, I think. Because she's a woman after God's own heart. Despite how wildly unlikely that is. She's a woman after God's own heart. And so when we send that David is a king after God's own heart, well, he got it from somewhere. He got it from Ruth. The enemy Moabite turned incredibly faithful follower of God and protector of Naomi. Ruth does better for Naomi than Elimelech ever did. Because her heart was rooted in God. Part of what's happening here, I hope, is obvious. That there are no right people or wrong people in God's world. Everyone can be a part of God's world. If Ruth, the enemy Moabite, can become the grandmother of David and the great-great-great-grand-whatever of Jesus then any of us can be a follower of God. That is not about anything that externally or even internally that you are. 
There are no wrong people in God's kingdom. There are only people who have the opportunity to follow God as Ruth did. So if you still harbor that thing, that thought in your mind, that place in your heart of like, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't think I'm, I'm right for this. I, I've done too much weird stuff. I'm from too many weird places. No, because Ruth is from the weirdest place. I, trust me, I have these thoughts too. When I got called to ministry, I, you know, I, I thought it was hilarious. I thought God got the wrong guy because I'm like, I do not. This is great, God. I don't have the faith for this. Like I heard God clearly speaking in my heart. This is what you're supposed to do with my, your life. And I went, ha, 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 ha. No. Not no because I didn't want to, but no because I was really convinced God got the wrong guy. I did not have the faith. I was not a good kid. I did not fit the squeaky clean image. I really don't like wearing polo shirts, right? Like I just didn't, I don't look like, I still don't look like a pastor, but I've been one for eight years. So if Ruth can make it and I can make it, so can any of us. There are no right or wrong people. It matters instead what you choose and who you choose and who you put first. That's the hallmark of a follower of God. And there are a lot of things in this world that want you to focus on them. There are a lot of things that are going to pull your focus and say, that's the most important thing. That's the thing you should put at your center. And that's what this whole series has been about, is unpacking all of those things that we say, have to, that we think, that we still hold on to, that we have, my, my safety has to come first. That's Esther, right? Esther lets go of her safety to save her people. So we, some people hold on and actually put their safety first. No, 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 that's too risky. I, I'm not going to do that. I'll, I'll go this far, God, but I'm not going to go that far, God. That's too scary. For some people, we talk like the rich young ruler. It's their finances. Yeah, 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 God, take my time. Yeah, 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 God, take my prayers, but don't take my money. That's mine. I can't give that. That's how we survive. It is how we survive, but we survive together. And we are called upon to let go of that as well. And here with Ruth, it really is, she lets go of everything. She had a comfortable life available to her in Moab. She really could have gone back to her parents, found a new husband, and lived a comfortable life in Moab. And she lets go of all of that. She lets go even of that last thing we hate letting go of, our self-determination, and says, I choose to go wherever God leads me. Where you go, I will go. Where you suffer, I will suffer. She puts God first. She keeps God at the center. What makes Ruth, Ruth, what makes Ruth one of these pillars of the faith, what makes Ruth the right grandmother for David and the right woman, right Moabite woman to be in the descend, to be in the, in the genealogy of Christ, is she puts God at the very center of every choice she makes from that moment onwards. Commits to a risky, uncertain, uncomfortable existence. Because that's where she felt God leading her. So the question that sits in us, sits here for us, is will we do the same? Is that who we will be? Will we put God at the center of our lives? 
and let God be the one who calls the shots and, and not hold anything back from that. Not say, you can have this, God, but you can't have this. But to say, God, where you need me to go, I will go. Where you need me to suffer, I will suffer. Whatever people you need me to go to, those are my people, for you are my God. That's the nature of faith. That sits at the heart of it. That's what it means to give your heart to Christ. It's not just a prayer in a moment. It is a lifetime of letting God be the only one in your life calling the shots and to be obedient like Ruth, to go, to suffer, to care, and to follow. Let us pray. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you love us. We give you thanks that you are there for us. We give you thanks that you send those unlikely people into our lives. And loving God, we pray that we may have the faith of Ruth. That we may let you lead us. That we are no longer our own. That we may be fully yours. God, may we hand over whatever last thing we are holding on to. That we may truly be a follower of you and you alone. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you, form one united body in Christ, for indeed in the power of the Holy Spirit that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God made you. God cares for you. But God calls on us all to follow after God and God alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. And I'll see you all between 4.30 and 5 this evening. <laughs>